regulators are not going to be happy that there are unregulatable systems out there. Bitcoin has shown that if you get to a degree of decentralization, you cannot be stopped. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? All eyes on the infrastructure bill over the weekend. I assume most of you have been watching what is going on. A bill is being rushed through at the moment containing some pretty broad language that could impact our industry. So before we get into the show, there's a couple of things I just wanted to talk about. Firstly, just amazing work, everyone. Just seeing all the different leaders within this industry coming together, trying to develop ideas to put the pressure back on these regulators to not include such dumb language. But secondly, we are very lucky to have the amazing team over at Coin Center. People like Peter Van Valkenburg and Jerry Brito on the front line fighting this bill. You know, these guys rely on donations. So if you've made a lot of money over the last few years or even in this bull run and you want to support them, please do head over to Coin Center and make a donation. They are very, very important to us all. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview that is definitely going to trigger some of the more hardcore Bitcoiners, but I think is highly relevant right now. So today I'm joined by Eric Voorhees and Udi Wertheimer, to discuss Eric's plans to decentralize Shapeshift and create a DAO. But before I get into this, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And today we're going to kick off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And you know what? I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you are an Android phone user, you can connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please do head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I still have not sold a single sat through Gemini. Because we're in a bull market, I am only increasing my stack. And I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that is all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And next up, we have Revolut. Now, I've been talking about this for quite some time. Lloyd's TSB, my banker for over 25 years, closed down all of my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. And when Revolut heard about this, they reached out to me and they said, Pete, we like Bitcoin. We won't close down your account. Why don't you come and join us? So I did. I set up my account. I think within two hours, I had everything transferred across. And if you become a Revolut customer, if you sign up, they are offering $20 or £20 to all new customers who complete three card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to set up. And you can add that card straight to Apple Pay and immediately get that cash in your pocket. But I wouldn't get that cash. I would convert it straight to Bitcoin. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD, which is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD, and you can get your bonus. And also, let's talk about BlockFi, who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Visa Rewards Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin and stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards cards provide the easiest way for you to stack your sats because you get 1.5% rewards back on all card purchases and there is no annual fee. But not only that, you can earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership and if you spend over $50,000 in a year, you'll earn 2% back on everything over that amount. 
If you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, onto the show, and I'm probably going to get a little bit of shit for doing the show, but when Eric Voorhees announced recently that he's going to be dismantling the company bill and creating a fully decentralized company in order to stay ahead of regulators, I knew this would be a fascinating topic to get into. Now, Eric has been on the show before. I get on really well with him. He's, you know, it's not just somebody I've interviewed. He has become a friend. And whilst different Bitcoiners maybe don't get on with Eric, they don't like uh, his views on altcoins and perhaps, you know, the side of history he was on when Segwit2x happened, it's made him open to attack. He is somebody I do like to talk to. And do you know what? It's just the way I am. Um, if I think somebody's got an interesting opinion, I'm always going to talk to them. So if you don't like it, please skip it. But I think this is an interesting topic to get into. Now, when Eric started Shapeshift, it was meant to be a libertarian-minded platform that allowed people to trade with no KYC or data collection, but the regulators caught up and forced them to follow the regular exchange rules of KYC for all their customers. And with Eric being a hardcore libertarian, he didn't like this. So now he's taken steps to stay ahead of the regulators and actually entirely dismantle his own business and turn it into a DAO. I know this show isn't about Bitcoin, but I think the idea of decentralizing a business to beat the regulators is cool as fuck. And, you know, it's highly relevant right now with everything that's happening with the infrastructure bill and regulators looking at our industry. So whether or not you agree with tokens or altcoins or whatever, I still think this is a topic that's worth discussing. Now, the token economics is up for debate. Most people hate tokens. There's part of me that sees in a future decentralized world, tokens as a percentage ownership of a company is it's certainly something that needs debating and could be a potential. I know it's happened with the INX guys and I'm trying to think myself if you wanted to create a decentralized business that a token would be some way of doing it. But I know that gives people kind of PTSD for 2017. So look, I accept it's a tricky subject, but either way, this is something I did want to discuss with Eric. And I also asked Udi to join us, just Udi being more techie than me could sit alongside this discussion. And he sometimes has more nuanced views, so he could help with this uh, debate. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. I hope the Bitcoin plebs listen, because I still think there's a lot to take in here, a lot you can learn from this. But as ever, if you want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, you can drop me an email. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can jump into my Telegram group. Okay, a lot to get through there. I'm going to hand it over to Eric and Udi. Speak to you soon. Eric, hi. How are you, mate? Hi, I'm good. How are you, mate? Um, all right, mate. Good to see you. Uh, <laughs> I wish I'd seen you in person recently and Toshi Roundtable. I couldn't make it. Udi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Right, listen, look, I'm going to get a lot of trouble for doing this show. You know this. People are going <laughs> to yell at me. Thank you for your courage. For, well, it's not courage. It's just like interesting. I just, uh, I spoke to Udi about it. I, I pinged Udi. I said, listen, I'm, I, I don't know why, but I'm interested in this. And I know it's not a Bitcoin project, essentially. Yada, yada. I just, I just think it's interesting. It's like, I, I, you know, I don't really give much of a damn about sh- sh- shit coins or old coins or whatever. Uh, but something about this interests me. I, de- I just want to know about it. Uh, I, want to, yeah. I want to understand it. I want you to explain it all to me. Because uh, I, I actually think the, the journey of Shapeshift itself is quite interesting, what you've been through. So I think what you're trying to do is interesting. And I've asked Udi to join us to maybe explain some of the concepts if I don't understand it or see if he's any questions. Um, but the idea of trying to decentralize a business is, I think, super interesting. Um, I, so, I do too. I do too. Yeah. So here we are. So let's go through it. Let's accept that I'm going to get yelled at, and uh, and then you're going to get yelled at, and then Udi will make a joke, and everyone will forgive Udi. Um, 
I somehow <laughs> seem to get out of it. I don't think this will be the one that, that gets me cancelled, but we'll see, maybe. This might be this might be my final show. Sorry. <laughs> To do something else. All right, listen, Eric. We've we've made a bunch of shows together. I don't give a shit what people say. Oh yeah, we're friends, and I like having you on the show. And we don't agree on all coins, but I do like talking to you about the vast uh, number of things we spoke about in the past. And this interest, this is interesting. You're trying to, or you are decentralizing Shapeshift. I think. Can we do a bit of a background? Um, Shapeshift was the. I think it was the third exchange I ever used, but I didn't know you at the time. So my very first exchange was local Bitcoins when I first discovered Bitcoin years ago. And then when I came back in 2017, I started using Coinbase. Uh, and then when I wanted to start buying all these altcoins, someone introduced me to this website, Shapeshift. And it was it was really easy to use. I remember buying loads of EOS on it back in my altcoin trading days. And I just loved that. You would you'd put your uh, exit address for the token you wanted you would say how much you were going to buy. And as I remember it, it's a very simple screen. And then you would uh, send your Bitcoin in. Maybe it was Bitcoin or maybe it was another altcoin. For me, it was usually Bitcoin. And you would just do the trade in the background. And at some point, <laughs> you'd sit there waiting and you'd get the delivery of your coins. But it was a really easy way to buy altcoins. Uh, uh, as I remember, you didn't have to log in, right? You didn't have to create an account or anything. Correct. Yeah, it's like a vending yeah. machine. You know, when you yeah. walk up to a vending machine, there's no account. And this was a secret Eric Voorhees project, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So when I started it, I started it under a pseudonym, uh, Bjorn, which is the pseudonym I still use in our Slack channel. And this was like, I think the not long after. Uh, yeah, I, it was revealed. Uh, <laughs> it was not long after you know I was dealing with the SEC, and it was still in a period of time when I thought the government would be cracking down on Bitcoin far more than it has so far. So, um, yeah, and I, you know, I kind of wanted to be low profile for a while. The Satoshi Dice days were, were stressful. Let's go back a few steps. Let's explain a few things to people, because there's a lot of context here. Uh, explain Satoshi Dice to people, because my downloads have gone up massively in the last six months to a year, and I think the vast majority of them are going to be new people. We're talking about uh, uh, four to five X in terms of show numbers, so lots of people are not going to know a lot of the history uh, explain Satoshi Dice to people and why that was stressful. Okay. So back in t- April of 2012, uh, I launched a project called Satoshi Dice. And it was a Bitcoin gambling game, essentially, where there were 20 different sets of odds and you could choose which odds you wanted. And you'd send Bitcoin to the specific address for those odds. So again, like Shapeshift, there was no user account. And because it was built on Bitcoin, you could send money from anywhere um, in any amount. And basically, the, the system would roll uh, a number. And if you won, you'd get more Bitcoin back. And if you lost, you'd get a tiny little dust transaction back, letting you know that you lost. And uh, it was just kind of a little side project. And then it completely blew up. And it became like more than half of all of the Bitcoin transactions for the first several years of Bitcoin's history. And uh, a lot of people hated me for it because they did not like how I was using the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, like more than half of all the mining fees for miners up until 2013 were paid by Satoshi Dice. Uh, but it was certainly controversial. Controversial both because some people hate gambling and controversial because some people don't like how others use certain blockchains. 
but it was unequivocally a success as a project. And I think it demonstrated a really cool way to use Bitcoin to, to bring about what was called provable fairness, where people knew precisely what the odds were. And after the rolls happened, you could prove that the outcome was what the math was supposed to be. So today, you know, nothing in Vegas does that. Uh, and it was just this like beautiful example of using mathematics to bring honesty, honesty and transparency to what is otherwise a pretty shady industry. And you can still go on to the Bitcoin Talk forums and see the discussions regarding this. I've done it. Yeah. I, I, years uh, years ago, I went on and looked at them, actually, uh, which are worth yeah. digging up. I'll try, and, I'll try and dig them out and put them in the show notes. Yeah, it's um, it was quite an interesting piece of history and uh, stressful both because of how quickly it started growing and stressful because I got in trouble with the SEC for selling shares of it. Um, and they were not happy that I did that without their permission. So I had a whole battle with the SEC back in 2013 uh, about Satoshi Dice. And, um, you know, it was at a time when, when Bitcoin was, was growing, was getting popular. You know, I was getting more known and I was getting increasingly nervous of the profile that myself and others in Bitcoin had uh, as things like the Silk Road got taken down and, you know, just a lot of heat around that time. And you sold, you sold Satoshi Dice. Yeah. Did, did they continue it on? So the buyer, who I've not disclosed, uh, I don't know what happened after they bought it, but it ended up at Bitcoin.com years later. So I don't know what sequence of people ran it. But certainly, um, by the time I sold it, you know there were already a lot of other Bitcoin gambling games. That whole ecosystem had blown up. And frankly, a lot of them were more innovative than Satoshi Dice at that point. So it was sort of on the decline already. Right. Okay. So that's your first run in with the SEC. You then go off and create Shapeshift uh, anonymously. Uh, and like I said, I think it was a very popular site at the time. I, I used it a lot. Uh, but you stayed. Did you, you must have used it, right, Udi? Yeah. Shapeshift was revolutionary, to be honest, at the time. There was nothing else like it because you could, you didn't have to register. That's that what was like a huge selling point in my, in, in my view. And it was super easy to onboard. Like if people are joining, you know, crypto in the last year or so, then that like probably seems obvious because I mean, I don't know, something like Uniswap looks the same, but but before Shapeshift, nothing was like that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was right at the right after Mt. Gox collapsed and four hundred million dollars of money got lost. And so the whole idea was like let people trade these assets without custodian risk. Um, I thought that was safer for me as an operator, but also just like the right way to do something that was built on crypto. If you if you collect everyone's assets under a custodian, then you're going to end up looking not too different from banks and centralized brokers. And so after a period of time, you then had to obviously reveal it was you. Was that? Did you have to do that? No, I just did. I mean, one thing I realized is it's really, it's really fucking hard to be pseudonymous if you're go well, just flat out full stop. But but if you're going to have like phone calls with someone, suddenly you need to disguise your voice because people knew me from interviews and Bitcoin documentaries. And I started having to have business calls where I couldn't speak, right? So there's actually a couple of times where I had my co-founder do the call under my name because I didn't know what to do about my voice. Just like practical problems like that. So it just became more and more obnoxious. And, you know, I realized like, all right, whatever, I'll just own it. I'll, I'll be myself again and we'll move forward. And what was that like uh, coming out? Because I, th- I guess 
people knew you as Eric Voorhees, the Bitcoin guy, and then you became Eric Voorhees, the altcoin guy as well, which has never really set yeah. well. Yeah, well, certainly ever since then, um, a lot of the Bitcoin maximalist types have not liked me. The first, the first one, this is interesting, the first one who really got angry with me was Roger Beer. Okay, really? Yeah. Roger Beer was an investor in Shapeshift, and he was not happy that it was supporting you know, these other coins. So he was an investor in it because him and I were friends and he wanted to support me, but he, he was uncomfortable with investing in a project that supported altcoins. You know? um, so the irony of that certainly un- unveiled itself over time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. You, there, there was also there's also all the people that hated me for Satoshi Dice for using the blockchain for the transactions. Shapeshift was built with a very similar model. No account and all the transactions happen on chain. And a lot of people do not like that because they think it's an inefficient use of, of how of how the blockchain is supposed to work. So those people piled on and certainly didn't like it. And then of course as Ethereum launched and that all got big and tokens became everywhere, uh, certainly the, the vitriol expanded. You've just had a history of basically pissing people off, haven't you? Yeah, well, I'm I'm here to destroy Bitcoin, so that was the way to do it, right? Use it a lot, pay a lot of mining fees, and uh, hopefully if I do that enough, Bitcoin will collapse. All right. Can, can you talk uh, anything about the KYC pressure that came down on you? We've had conversations about mm-hmm. it before. Uh, last time I spoke to you about it, a couple of years ago, you said you didn't really want to go into detail. Is that something you can talk about yet? I can talk about some of it. Yeah. Um, it it really bothers me that I can't talk about all of it freely. It would be a risky thing to do that, and perhaps some details will come out in the future. Um, suffice to say that by early 2018, Shapeshift had gotten very large. We were over 100 people. Um, Lots of attention was on the crypto industry. We had a lot more resources and we were pouring a lot of those resources into legal analysis of our model and to what degree it would be problem from a regulatory perspective. Um, We had earlier gotten legal opinion that our model would not be treated like a financial institution and thus KYC was not necessary. But by the time 2018 came around, the opinion from different lawyers started changing. So long story short, we had a decision to make, either one of three things, right? Um, Do something that would probably get us thrown in jail, uh, shut down the business and fire everyone, and then send all the customers over to Coinbase and back to the custodian world, Uh, or bite the bullet, implement KYC, which means know your customers, a whole apparatus of Orwellian financial surveillance, and continue running. Hold and on, Eric, I, can you do yeah. that? Because don't you have a fiduciary duty? Like, I always hear about this thing in the US, you have this fiduciary duty to your investors. So if you just shut down the business, are you breaking a fiduciary duty? That's not breaking a fiduciary duty. Uh, certainly a lot of investors would not want that to happen. But if, you know, if <laughs> if I want to shut down the business, I can do it. Um, myself and a few people have majority control of it. So, right, okay. uh, yeah, I... That's a that's a tricky issue, but ultimately, after a lot of struggle and you know dark, miserable thoughts, um, and questioning you know my own character and and what is right, like what is the right thing to do, 
um, we decided on option three to implement the Orwellian surveillance and to continue operating Shapeshift. So that was mid-2018. That must have hurt though, right? Because I know you. We've had, uh, I think our first two or three interviews were really just about you teaching me about libertarian ideas. And there's one thing uh, you specifically said in one of those, like I always repeat where I always say uh, about, you always said to me, let's not talk about getting rid of government. Let's just start by making it smaller, like 1%, 5% because sure, it yeah. always gets bigger. I'd love that. That's always stuck <laughs> with me. But you as a but you as a libertarian, this must have fucking sucked. Yeah, well, it sucks because the, the whole premise of Shapeshift was to give people a safe way to transact. We used this phrase like consumer protection by design. That meant we didn't hold their funds and it meant we didn't take their private information, both of which endanger people. So we get to 2018 and we're coerced into endangering people to take their personal private information, which we do not want and they do not want to give us. Um, yeah, that was that was ethically very dubious. And I, to this day, you know, it, it does not sit well with me. So yeah, that whole time, we just kind of <laughs> went through it. Well, that's kind of funny because you're talking about consumer protection not taking that data because it's a risk to them. And we have we've had Gensler, I think that's how you pronounce his name, from the SEC come out today and say crypto needs tighter regulation to protect consumers. So people see consumer protection two different ways. Yeah, I don't know that people feel very much like there is significant consumer protection in the financial markets. I think people properly understand that there are very elaborate means of financial exploitation by people who know financial markets against the, the broad public. And um, so this whole talk of consumer protection, I'm willing to give the SEC that they probably believe that's what they're doing. But I think they are not actually causing much consumer protection to unfold. And they're building this entire apparatus, which ends up excluding the poorest people in the United States from being able to invest. And I think that's horribly unethical as well. Like preventing the poorest people from participating in financial markets, uh, that should be a crime, frankly. And yet they are doing it with the blessing of the government. Well, and the those people who can afford to invest or can afford to uh, sign up to these websites and start investing, whether it's in companies or crypto projects, uh, put at risk by having little pockets of data all over the internet, which is constantly being hacked and attacked and revealed. My assumption is that my personal data, I don't know, you might fill this out. My assumption is my personal data is now everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's large organizations, uh, the IRS itself, small companies, they all leak this data all the time. It is par for the course. And so this whole consumer protection bullshit, you know, meanwhile, these people are out there buying lottery tickets. Um, It does not sit well with me. So yeah, that was the struggle that we were that we entered into. Right. Okay. So bring us forward to today. Um, you've not now got this new thing where you want to decentralize the company. Like I say, I think that's massively interesting. I just, I'll tell you why it's uh, interesting enough to, like, I want to take a look at is that I always try and like think personally. And right now, a couple of things are on in my mind. Uh, my personal data and, and address I had somebody, so I haven't actually talked about this yet. I had somebody who turned up and knocked on my door who listens to the show. Um, and I was doing an interview. My daughter answered the door. And, and funny enough, this guy was called Eric as well. It wasn't you, I know. Um, so she goes, oh, this Eric uh, knocked on the door. He said, can you give him a call? And I was like, Eric? I don't know an Eric. So I phoned him and I chatted to this guy. And he said, oh, yeah, I was uh, listening to your show. And um, 
uh, I saw you were in Bedford and you were talking about how you go for like a walk around the park. So I just thought I'd come up and say hello and maybe we could just go for a walk and talk about Bitcoin. And, you know, it, it, he himself was harmless, right? And I felt really sorry for him. But at the same time, I was like, well, that's a bit fucking weird that someone can find out. How did he know your address? Well, I get, I'm guessing he went on. My address it can be found. The easiest place to find is company's house. Um, so I'm in the process of moving house and hiding my data. So that's one thing I'm thinking of. Yeah. But I'm also thinking of the next level, which is not even having a home and just becoming a little bit more digital nomad. Because uh, my I travel a lot with work anyway, so it just kind of makes sense. Yeah. And so I'm starting to think about services or things I can use which uh, basically exit me from the system, uh, exit me from bank accounts, exit me from needing an address, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of you creating a decentralized business, right? I have a business. It's very small. It's six employees, but it's still a business. They they all have to be paid. We have to have bank accounts, et cetera. But the idea of a registered address. We have a registered address, et cetera. But the idea of getting away from that and, and creating something a little bit more decentralized where we can operate as a business, but nobody really knows who we are, where we are, is something quite interesting to me. Yeah. Well, it should be. I mean, it's uh, it's very very much in line with the ethos of Bitcoin, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I and mean, so we went through a, a miserable couple years, and all the while, I'm trying to figure out like how do we get out of this mess? Uh, our customers hated it. Our employees hated it. I hated it. Everyone hated it, uh, except the surveillance state, which is glad because now they have one more, you know, uh, operative in the field. Um. Fast forward to 2020, early 2020, and I had become very familiar with Uniswap. And Uniswap, when you visit it, it has that exact magic that you guys described the first time you used Shapeshift. Just this easy, civil arrival at a website. You push a couple buttons and the thing you want to happen has happened. And it's no more complicated than that. And that's that's such a rare beauty. And so when I saw that, I was like, damn, these guys these guys did it. What What's going on? How are they doing this? And that sent me down a path of really understanding and learning about that model and f- far more down the path of really researching financial regulations, where they stem from, what they're based on. Um, we decided last fall in 2020 that we would start integrating decentralized exchanges into Shapeshift. So instead of Shapeshift being the counterparty where you send us a coin and we send you another coin, we would let you just trade directly through the DEX, the decentralized exchange, using the Shapeshift interface. So that started with Uniswap and several other Ethereum DEXs in January, and then ThorChain in April. And in April, we terminated all of our own trading. So since April, we have not done KYC anymore because we are no longer a counterparty to the trade, which means we are no longer a financial intermediary or a financial institution. So that was really like the start of things getting better. And that was the first couple quarters of this year. So what regulations are you bypassing? How are you doing this? Because you still managed the code, right? Yeah, well, this is why <laughs> lawyers like to use this phrase, facts and circumstances. Regulations apply to specific sets of facts and circumstances and specific activities that someone is doing or that a business is doing. If you do those things, you are regulated. If you do not do those things, you are not regulated. So this was simply a question of us figuring out the things which were regulated activities and figuring out how to stop doing those things. So we stopped. We no longer do the activity which which is regulated. 
That's it. Can can you can you explain that again? So, what is the bit? Is that is that managing the trade? It's not. Yeah, managing the trade is not the right answer. When someone does okay. a trade with Shapeshift in the past, let's say it's Bitcoin for ETH, they send Bitcoin to Shapeshift. We have hot wallets. We receive their Bitcoin into our hot wallets, and as soon as that has confirmed, we send out the ETH to them. Right. So we are we are a counterparty, and for a moment, we're arguably an intermediary. That is arguably a regulated service. And that is what we stopped doing. Now, the trick was trying to figure out how to stop doing that while at the same time letting the users continue to trade. And that's where the DEX protocol infrastructure saved the day. Right. But before I carry on, Udi, is there anything you want to jump in and ask yet? Um, not necessarily ask, but I, I kind of feel like I want to point out to, like if people are listening to this and they're kind of hardcore Bitcoiners, then like one, you know, one, one, thing they might think is like well you know like shapeshift is not doing those activities anymore but it is still um you know it is still doing something right and 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 if if if, if the government really wanted to stop them they could still like find some excuse to do it maybe um and 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 bitcoin like a lot of a lot of times like bitcoin land people are really like trying to get rid of all possible pressure points um uh, to 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 like have none of them, the, not just in the legal sense, but not e- but not even in the technical sense. But I think what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, this is like Shapeshift is taking a different approach, maybe than the extreme Bitcoin approach. That doesn't mean it's wrong though. Like it's a practical approach, which is okay. There are laws, so we're gonna make sure that we, um, you know, we 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 stick to the letter of the law. We're not going to be like ultimately the most decentralized thing in the universe on day one but we're going to do as practical you know as, as practically necessary and and that seems to work so far so i think you know that's not a bad yeah, approach it's, it's it works let's put this in bitcoin terms for a second so when i got into bitcoin one of the biggest pieces that, one of the biggest things people considered and discussed was liberty reserve and Liberty Reserve was a way of sending private money between people um, in a relatively anonymous way. And it went down in flames because the government came in and shut it down. So a lot of people know that story. Um, and then there's also eGold, which, which kind of had the same phenomenon. The reason that Bitcoin did not suffer that same fate is, is but one thing, which is decentralization. There is no office to shut down. There is no person in charge of Bitcoin. It perpetuates because it's doing a regulated service, right? The movement of money is <laughs> the most regulated service of all. How is it that Bitcoin is, is able to continue providing a regulated service without getting shut down by every regulator in the universe? It's because it's decentralized. There is no one to go after. That principle is absolutely key. And so any the, this whole development of DEXs is the attempt at figuring out higher levels of the financial stack which can also be decentralized. Base money, done. We have Bitcoin. We have base money that is decentralized. How, how many other layers can we build that are also sufficiently decentralized to withstand that kind of attack? But, but could the regulators look at what you're doing and say, okay, you found a loophole here. Shapeshift is still a company itself. So we'll just change the regulations. Ah, sure. Yeah, I mean, nothing that we're doing makes us immune from the government. Right, this is always an arms race, and it's a how how well do you understand the law and what what does the law exist today? Uh, absolutely, regulators will likely try to change the law, 
But they can't just like flip a switch and do that, especially when you're talking about the fundamental bases like the Bank Secrecy Act, on which most U.S. regulation is based. You can't just put out some guidance and change that. Guidance has to comport with the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, to change that would be a multi-year process and would be likely an act of Congress. It would be a big, massive thing. If they do that, then that's their next step and we take our next step, right? This is a game where we're all trying to figure out how to build and survive against an adversary. And we're not going to build anything that we believe is in violation of the law, but we're also going to find where the law is not applicable or where there's space to operate legally in the way that best serves our customers. And so that's what we're doing. So you're a bit of a... You're a bit of a pain in the ass then for the government because you're finding ways to allow people to do something they don't really want people doing, which is trade and move cryptocurrencies without KYC AML. Therefore, my worry for you is that you become a target of some frivolous accusation, lawsuit, etc., something to target you, which might be far easier than targeting what you've built. Does that, does that worry you? Is, is that part of the progress? Of course it worries me. It is something that I have dealt with for 10 years now. It is yeah. something that I have to constantly weigh the risks and rewards. I want to push boundaries, but I don't want to violate law because I'm a known person and an easy target. Um, at the same time, like what is, what is life but the time to demonstrate principles and try to make things better. And people who are unwilling to take any steps because they have personal risk um, means that nothing good will happen. So yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of regulators don't like me. Fortunately, me not being liked is not illegal. Um, Whenever I fly into the US, I get stopped at the border and my shit gets stolen. I mean, that's been happening for years uh, in complete violation of, of law. So yeah, I mean it's a like what? What do they see? Struggle, laptops, Kindles, USB mice. Uh, <laughs> what they just yeah. disappear, or they just take them they, off you and say we're taking it. They pull me aside at the border, and this has happened both entering the U.S. and leaving the U.S. They confiscate my electronic devices. They answer none of my questions and ask me many. Uh, they're complete pricks about it, and seemingly have no care or concern for the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution or even the, the laws about border searches and seizures, which mandate that the equipment must be returned within 30 days, and it is, it is not. Wow. So do you, yeah. do you just stop traveling with electronic equipment then? I, I assume stuff I travel with is confiscated. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm not the only one in crypto who has this happen to them. Interesting. It's not happened to me yet. Good. Mm. Good. I, I have. I have it's never too late, to Peter. It's never too late. No, <laughs> and I, look, I, I am starting to think about more more about stuff like this. I have been stopped at the U.S. border a couple of times, um, and, and last time I was taken into a room and questioned about why I, I was coming in, which was new. That's not happened before, but it, it was nothing to make me think like it was uh, a targeted because of crypto slash Bitcoin at that time. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Wow. Um, I guess right now, then, this is, it must be a really interesting time for you because uh, we are going into a crazier and crazier world. There is more surveillance. There is more financial surveillance. Um, the overreach of the government and, and the uh, the Fed seems to be creeping further and further. So are you, are you, how are you feeling now, Eric? Are you feeling like more up for the fight or are you feeling more exhausted by it? Like, 
I feel like I understand the state of play very well at this point. Okay. Um, and so. we're making our moves accordingly. So yeah, I feel good. I, I am every day incredibly inspired by the decentralizing technologies and how far they're getting and how quickly. Um, it's, it's amazing. So I, you know, I wake up more excited every day to see this stuff unfolding. And frankly, this is all about bringing monetary sovereignty to people. And anything I can do to support that, I will do it. Next up, I talk to Eric and Udi more about Shapeshift decentralizing their business. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And today I'm kicking off with Sportsbet.io, the very, very best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin. And with the Olympics over, all eyes are back on football. The Premier League kicks off this Friday, I think it is. I think Arsenal are playing Brentford. I think that's the opening game. And then we have a full fixture list over the weekend. I cannot wait. It's going to be great to have football back. It's great to have fans back in the stadium. It was kind of weird last year. But listen, I'm going to be making some bets. I obviously think Liverpool are going to win. I'm obviously going to be betting against Tottenham because they're ridiculous. So very exciting. But if you want to check this out, Sportsbet.io always have a range of things available for you. They don't just have football. They have tennis and motorsports and esports and all kinds of crazy things. And they always have a range of promotions available for new customers. So if you want to check them out, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And as I'm about to start traveling, I'm definitely going to be using my Exodus Wallet again, especially when I hit El Salvador. Now, listen, I'm always going on about UX. And the reason I like the Exodus Wallet is they crush the UX, which is why I'm always happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Because the Exodus Desktop Wallet gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. But with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So if you want to check it out for yourself, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we're going to finish off with Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords and SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are way too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Our Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And these are wallets you get to distribute into different locations. And that is going to protect you as a Bitcoiner from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I've been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Right, so a few more questions on Shapeshift. You're decentralizing the company, but really we've talked about decentralizing the exchange. How else are you decentralizing the company? Yeah. Are, you, have, are, are, are you actually breaking down the company? And is the end game here really that there will be no Shapeshift? Yeah, so up through April of this year, we had integrated decentralized exchanges and destroyed our own exchange. So we stopped being an exchange as of April. Um, that was not us decentralizing Shapeshift, but it was us decentralizing trading. Uh, on July 14th, just a few weeks ago, we announced that we are decentralizing the entire company. So yes, this means that the entity itself will go away with time. It means all of the code of Shapeshift, front and back end, will be open sourced with time. It means we will not have any employees. We will not have me as a CEO. We will not have bank accounts. We will not have business contracts. The entity goes away, 
and the product, the project lives on as an open source, decentralized token-based community. So we can go into any part of that if you want, but that's essentially what's happening. Well, okay, so f- first point, because ha- ha- Shapeshift does have a team, therefore it does have costs. How, how is Shapeshift, mm-hmm. what's the revenue model right now? So right now, there is no revenue model. Everything on the, on the platform is just free. You do trades through Shapeshift, you're getting the same rate as if you went directly to the DEX. Okay, so an, an, another question on there then, that must mean there are no trading fees? So, because I spoke to Jack Mallers recently about this, um, he was on my show talking about uh, wiping out trading fees. He says trading fees are a race to the bottom. Eventually, uh, all goes to zero, and ultimately, you make your money on the users themselves. If you operate a business like his, his obviously is a centralized business. But yours being a decentralized business, I guess it's. Do you support? Because I haven't been a new shapeshift uh, in a while because I don't trade coins. Um, but do you allow people to use stable coins? Sure, yeah. So it's a cheap, very cheap place to buy Bitcoin then? Correct. Uh, yeah, and you know, ThirdChain is offline right now, but when ThirdChain was online, it was the only place in the world where you could actually trade like Tether stablecoin for native unwrapped Bitcoin with no intermediary. Um, so that'll come back online in a couple months. And yeah, I mean, anyone who cares about Bitcoin immutability like that is this, that is the sole mechanism that you can trade at scale, in and out of stable coins. I think that's that's awesome. Okay, well, so we'll come back to that. So there's still fees, though, right? Like there's still fees charged by the pool or the the protocols. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, Uniswap, SushiSwap, Bancor, Thorchain, they all have roughly a thirty basis point fee for the pool. Uh, you'll pay that if you go direct to the protocol. You'll pay that if you go through Shapeshift. So Shapeshift isn't adding any fees, but yeah, you're right that there is a fee. That fee goes to the liquidity providers. That's why people put up the liquidity and that's what gets the markets deep. Do you want to, do you want to explain that and how that works, who the liquidity providers are, why that's required, yeah. etc.? So uh, for most of Bitcoin's history, all trading happened on central limit order books. You have a bunch of bids and a bunch of asks wherever those cross, the trade happens. Um, People tried to do that model in a decentralized way, but because of blockchain latency and other issues like like front running, um, it never took off, it never got sufficient liquidity. And so those, even though they were technically cool, didn't ever get traction. Um, Uniswap didn't invent this concept of an automated market maker, but they certainly popularized it and are the biggest one to date. An automated market maker is essentially a different model from a central limit order book. And what you have is a pool of two assets, call it asset A and asset B. And the ratio of those assets in the pool is what determines the price. What happens is that if that price gets out of alignment with the quote unquote real price, arbitrage will take care of it and get both things back into into alignment. Liquidity pools work beautifully on blockchains because they don't require a low latency environment. And they are very good at pulling idle capital that people have and letting them deposit it into these pools and earn a yield with time. So someone who's holding $1,000 of Litecoin can deposit it into a liquidity pool and earn a yield on that without any intermediary. There's certainly no KYC. And that's awesome because otherwise that Litecoin would just be sitting in their wallet. So it's great for the liquidity, um, for the asset providers. And it's great for the traders because they get deep pools on all sorts of different assets. So it's a different model um, Uniswap is the biggest, best example of it. 
Okay. Right, back to the model. There is no there's no business model here anymore for Shapeshift. So you, Yeah, Shapeshift won't be a business. What's the timeline for that? Yeah, so some pieces of it already exist. So we've already set up the DAO, the decentralized autonomous organization, which is just an Ethereum smart contract holding our whole treasury of assets. Um that's set up. We have a bunch of tools set up for governance and blockchain voting and all that kind of thing. The company today is still fully there. We still have 67 employees. It's still a normal company. We still have our bank accounts. Those pieces get dismantled over the next six months. So by the end of the year, there will be no employees. Um, and hopefully we can you know, terminate the entity sometime early next year. It's probably our last tax filing that will be like the last thing that the entity has to do. So that stuff is like a six-month kind of process. The open sourcing of all of our code, you know, that's going to be a three to nine-month process. And at that point, you know, we we just slowly transition from something that is 100% centralized to something that is something less than that. And is this costing you to do this or shape? I mean, you can tell me to mind my own fucking business, but does Shapeshift have funds from previous trading to support this? Or you having to basically yeah, pay for we, this? We've got a healthy balance sheet, so we can we can take care of it. Wow. How, how does the team feel about this? Because you've basically had to sell on the project that I'm winding up the company that you've all worked yeah. so hard for to decentralize it. And uh, at a certain point in time, you're all going to be without a job. Yeah. It's all it's about the mission. Hard, but it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, certainly with like 67 people, there's going to be a range of reactions. Some people at the company think this is just the coolest thing in the world and they've been wanting us to do it and helping teach us how to do it. Other people, they're scared to not have a normal W-2 salary and a normal you know, payroll and everything in between. So yeah, some love it, some, some aren't thrilled. Uh, but to, to demonstrate to them that the, the best way to serve Shapeshift's customers and to bring Shapeshift as a brand into alignment with the crypto ethos, we have to decentralize. And that that's going to be a new and exciting path for us. Um, you know, those who are very entrepreneurial and who are eager and willing to take risks and strike out into new areas, it's awesome. And are they being compensated with the token? Yeah. All well, that's okay. Yeah, all the t- all the employees and shareholders got a bunch of tokens that best over three years. So that aligns them all with the long term success of the project, even after the corporate entity is gone. Um, okay, I'm, I'm thinking on the spot here. So, wh- where where are the holes? Where are the risks? The code base itself is that uh, an attack vector? Can the code base be Always. closed down? Yeah, because is, that has to sit centralized somewhere. It needs redundancy. Yeah. So some some parts of Shapeshift we do not yet know how to decentralize. Right. We know how to do a lot of it, but not all of it. But this is a case of like looking where the puck is going. The decentralized tools and technologies are rapidly progressing, and we do not believe we are very far from being able to decentralize every single piece, including the web app itself. Um, so, yeah, this stuff this stuff gets solved over time. Because it's all done via a browser, I guess, but is there any way of, I don't know, building some kind of node, which is the exchange, which every person has a copy of the exchange? Well, again, we're not an exchange, right? We've already well, hooked we... up decentralized exchanges. So they, they took okay. care of that. I'm thinking a bit more like BitTorrent. Can, can you create something whereby people can peer-to-peer trade without the need for any centralized code base? The, the DEXs already do that. Shapeshift okay. is an interface to those DEXs. 
Now today, that interface is centralized. You know, we're on AWS and that could get shut down tomorrow. Uh, there are ways of decentralizing many elements of that web app. And I believe that ultimately we will be able to decentralize all elements of that web app. There are already websites out there that run on things like IPFS, which become pretty close to immutable. And again, none of this stuff is perfect. It's not a panacea, but you can see where the trend is going. Udi, what, what, am, I, what am I missing here? Anything I'm not asking? Um, one thing I'm wondering about, so you, you mentioned um, Shapeshift at least currently doesn't charge any fees. So obviously the token holders will be expecting Shapeshift to make a profit, not as a business, but as a, as a DAO, right? And I assume. So like, how, how is that, that going to work out? So how, how are token holders going to see profit? Yeah. yeah, so think about it like this. So in a normal centralized organization, you have shares, and the governance of the organization falls on the shareholders who elect a board, who elects an executive team. And the economic value that accrues to the project ultimately belongs to the shareholders. In a token world, it's the token that does that. The token is what governs the project. That's how you know where, if, if a decision has to get made, ultimately it will fall and settle down to the token holders. And if the system generates revenues, it can go to those token holders. And it's up to those token holders when and how they want to accrue that value. So this is the case currently with Uniswap. Uniswap has no fees that go to token holders. And yet the Uniswap token is like a multi-billion dollar market cap. Why are people willing to hold those tokens, right? Similar to how someone who owns a share of a company that doesn't pay dividends knows that in the future, that company may be able to pay dividends. And certainly if they hold enough of the tokens, they can make it pay dividends in the, to in the, or the shares. In the token world, a platform like Uniswap one year from now, 10 years from now, can add a fee that goes to the token holder. That's up to them. They can choose when and how to deploy it, what level it should be at. Very similar to how shareholders would do that in a centralized organization. Right, mm. right. So maybe it doesn't make uh, business sense, or in that case, it doesn't make sense for the product to, to charge fees now, but it would at some point. And, and the, I guess the point is that the token holders can decide what's the right time to do that. Yeah, and there's all. It's also not as simple as like you must charge a fee or not. The the stuff in DeFi is getting very, very interesting to the point where you can take like collateral backed loans in a stablecoin and then deposit that in a protocol that's paying you interest, right? So the DAO could today take twenty million dollars in stablecoin backed by its own token and put that twenty million dollars into Ave and earn a yield on that. That yield can go up and down, but there you go. There's another revenue source. So the token holders ultimately decide when and how to manage their treasury, just as shareholders would decide when and how to manage the treasury of a centralized organization. See, Udi, this, this is the kind of comment that could probably get me cancelled by Bitcoiners. But um, one of the things is, obviously, I'm a Bitcoiner. I support Bitcoin. I make a show about Bitcoin. I don't really, I very rarely cover altcoins. I, I sometimes cover Ethereum because people are using stable coins to trade Bitcoin. And I think it's um, you can't really avoid the fact that those a lot of those stable coins exist on the Ethereum network. So I have to maintain a certain amount of interest in it. Uh, INX, the the other project which I covered before, which I think is uh, issued on Ethereum and is meant to move. I'm not sure if it's moved yet, but it's meant to move uh, onto uh, Liquid. Um, I think a lot of Bitcoiners accept tokens are a thing that most want them to exist 
uh, on Liquid because that's part of the closer to the Bitcoin blockchain. Whatever, I don't really care right now. The point being is, I don't, I don't know how you can do something like this without a token. Like, do we have to have like a, a, a slightly more mature conversation about this at some point? Say, look, listen, Bitcoin is hard money. Bitcoin is the best money the world has ever seen. It's the reserve currency for the world. But we have to actually at some point have an adult conversation about tokens because they do serve a purpose. They are useful. Or could this be done in another way? That is kind of why I ask you here, Udi, as a more of an impartial voice on this. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think people um, might have some PTSD from 2017 or whatever, where a lot of like altcoins did not really have... Um, a clear thesis for why they even exist and 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 what you know what what do you do with them? Um, but it's really different now. I mean, at least for some projects, you can really um, make this comparison to stocks, which I don't know if it might create compliance issues for some people. But other than that, it's it's they're very very similar to how a stock would work for a business, and it seems like a perfectly reasonable model to me. If you you know if you have something that resembles a business, you need people to invest in it in order to start it. You want to share the upside. Also, people are not just going to randomly like because you know people people often say about Bitcoin, um, well, you don't need a token because you already have Bitcoin, and people do support Bitcoin without having uh, another token to to incentivize things. But you know, it turns out if you want people to to participate in a new protocol or a new organization, or new whatever it is, you you need to share the upside with them, and that that makes sense too. So you need to have a token for that. There's no other way to do it. How else would you do it? So I don't think there... And, and you know, it used to be... That's very part of the PTSD thing. It used to be in 2017 that th they would um, present themselves as competition to Bitcoin. They would say, well, it's like Bitcoin, but it's faster. It's like Bitcoin, but it's smarter. It's like Bitcoin, but it's more private. Um, and that's not really happening anymore. I, mean, I think people, a lot of people accept... Uh, outside of the cryptocurrency space and inside the cryptocurrency space, that Bitcoin is a form of money, and there's very few projects trying to compete with that specifically. Um, they're trying to do other things, and the token model doesn't seem like, you know, I, people try to describe it as immoral. I don't see anything immoral about it. Like it's not, it's not inflation. It's not. It's a. It's a reasonable model people use for centuries in order to share upside in in enterprises. That seems perfectly reasonable. Well, token, tokens collectively can't be immoral. Each individual one you have to uh, treat, you know, measure and, and judge individually. And I, I, I don't know how you can do this, Eric, without a token, um, which I'm sure is going to get me shouted at for saying, but I just I don't see how you can do it. It doesn't change the fact that the yeah, protocol which it exists on might be have its own flaws. I, you know, Ethereum does seem to have certain issues with it and other protocols. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to change the podcast to um, start covering tokens. I, I'll speak to you because you're a friend and I'm interested in your project. I do find it super interesting. I, I find it super interesting that you're basically winding up your your baby as well. You're, you know, I do find that interesting. What What are the main criticisms that you've had that you've had to field with this? I mean, certainly there are some of of that variety. Like, well, why do you need a token, right? And <laughs> I think Udios spot on when he said there's this PTSD from 2017 when everyone and their mother had a token and 99% of it was complete garbage and didn't do shit. And the, the, the failure of people observing this is that they saw that and they think like no one can figure out how to use these things well. Tokens are an incredibly powerful tool and humanity is trying to figure out how to use them well. 
and what they will bring for financial independence from the state is massive. So that's been one criticism. Um, A lot of it has just been curiosity, like, how the hell do you do that? Or what does it mean? What does it mean to be decentralized? Why are you doing it? These kind of questions. There's been a lot of really genuine interest in it. I think a lot of people recognize that, especially those who are entrepreneurs that run centralized uh, crypto businesses, there is so much cruft and friction and regulatory loss from being a business in finance. And the whole banking establishment just puts up with it because, you know, they use that to keep out uh, new new entrants to the market. But you get this whole ecosystem of financial innovation, and it's just running constantly into friction. And by decentralizing, we believe we will get rid of much of that friction. We'll certainly have new problems to deal with. But people are curious to, to understand that model. And it's something that could not work without blockchains. It could not work without tokens. And um, now I think it's being unleashed on the world and you're going to see a lot of DAOs, some of which I think will become the largest economic organizations on the whole planet. Well, the idea of creating decentralized businesses is what interested me. And if I wanted to create a decentralized business and I wanted to raise funds, that's certainly a way that you could do it is via a token, um, which which people have done in the past. Bitcoin is the first DAO. Like this is a, a really critical thing, right? Bitcoin is not a company. It's a decentralized autonomous organization. No one is in charge of it. It has a token called Bitcoin. And that token was designed with certain economic parameters and incentives, which have worked incredibly well. And it's created like the most important financial technology ever invented, right? And that's just the the first version of this stuff. So people are are realizing that you can actually organize in a decentralized way around um, blockchains and tokens to do other things. And I think that's a that's a wonderful thing and a wonderful testament to the power of what Bitcoin unlocked. So, what are the risks with this, then, Eric? You must have uh, weighed them up. Yeah, the biggest risk is that we fail to transition from a centralized organization to a decentralized community. Right. So, right now, everyone is on a payroll. I'm in charge. I, there's a board. Like, if something needs to happen, there's a clear way that that happens in a centralized organization. A decentralized community is a little more amorphous and it requires people with less structure to participate. It requires people to be inspired and interested in something and it requires economic parameters and incentives to be set up correctly. We don't have a handbook for how to do that. So we're trying to take some best practices that we've learned, but we could screw that up and it may not take off, right? So that's that's the biggest risk. There's no guarantee. In, in terms of these risks that you've, uh, you've looked into, I guess one of them would be that there's enough interest from people to be managing the code, developing the code, working on updates and changes, etc. There has to be enough interest around the project. Yeah. Uh, so without a token, we would just be assuming people would contribute like out of the kindness of their heart. And maybe some people would do that, but that's not how you make a lasting project that like ignites the passions of capitalism. So the way this works is that the, the Shapeshift DAO treasury has a you know $200 million worth of tokens at this point. Anyone in the world can pitch to the DAO and say, hey, uh, I want to do this for the project, pay me X, and the DAO can vote on it. And with as people earn reputation with time, certain people will rise to the level of like, you know, known figures that are doing good work. 
And the difference between that and a corporation is the ease of entry, the ease of exit, and the flexibility, right? So someone can work on ShapeShift like an hour a month or 60 hours a week, and it's completely up to them. If there's an amazing, talented engineer in France, they can actually work on ShapeShift versus under our corporate model. We will never hire someone in France because of their damn HR laws there that are just like too atrocious to ever even hire someone in France, right? So that kind of thing we avoid completely by being a DAO. Um, so yeah, that's that's the economic model. You pitch to the DAO. If you if people if you're credible and you do good work, you'll you'll earn money from that treasury. Udi, what about you? What are the risks that uh, you think exist that maybe Eric hasn't brought up here? Um, you know, I think, uh, I mean, there is of course the big, the big risk of, of, uh, you know, kind of failing to decentralize, which I think a lot of projects didn't figure that out, uh, entirely yet. Um, both on the technology end and also on the practical end of like, you know, how decisions are going to be made, how the, the website is going to be hosted, things like that. It's not, we don't know yet, right. If, if this is even going to be possible or not, um, but uh, on the other hand, you know, a lot of projects are already doing this. Like, from my point of view, it looks like, you know, Shapeshift uh, perhaps kind of looked at the, the, the landscape of, of, you know, products like Uniswap and, um, and said, okay, maybe we can do things more like they do um, and kind of, you know, have a DAO. I don't know if it's Uniswap specifically, but a lot of these DeFi projects, you know, have, have a DAO and have, have the community vote on things give out um, tokens so that people have can, can share the upside and have some um, stake in that. And, and so it seems like, you know, Shapeshift is trying to move in, in, a, in a direction that is not, you know, completely unestablished. So like people have done that and, and, and it, it, it is working to certain degrees already. So I, I'm not pessimistic about it. Definitely not. I think it could happen. Um, there is like, even those projects, though, in DeFi, um, I think face maybe some regulatory pressures um, or will face regulatory pressures. Um, uh, the, the comments today from the SEC chairman are also mentioned, you know, uh, decentralized um, trading protocols and lending and so on. They, I mean, they, they, they are clearly aware of it and they clearly seem to want to step in in, in one way or another. So... I guess how how do you see like uh, a DAO approaching that? Like because it seems like it's going to become more of a problem. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the test, and it will become more of a problem. I mean, absolutely, regulators are not going to be happy that there are unregulatable systems out there. Um, those DAOs which aren't really decentralized will just end up being succumb- uh, like succumbing to regulation. Uh, those DAOs which actually achieve decentralization, I think that, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin has shown that if you get to a degree of decentralization, you cannot be stopped. And Bitcoin is far more decentralized than essentially all of these projects. But these are new things and they will grow with time and they will become decentralized with time. Um, and it's it's a question of like whether you just allow yourself to be consumed by regulation under the centralized structure, which is definite. Centralized crypto custodians, for example, are going to end up looking like banks. There is no way to avoid that. Or do you take a chance at learning the lessons of decentralization and try to see how many of those you can apply to what you're doing? So I don't think that decentralization is appropriate or possible for all crypto businesses, 
But certainly for a great many of them, it is. And I think some of them are going to find success with that model. Well, it's super interesting. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it because I th- I, as we move to a world of more decentralization, I don't think um, Bitcoin is the only technology that people will be using. And I do think people will be trying to decentralize companies. So I think... Um, I think it's something definitely to keep an eye on. Um, I, I can't let you leave, though, with ask, asking about the infrastructure bill, because uh, I'm sure you've got some... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you've got some yeah. strong views on this, because um, it, I'm going to be talking to Jake Chavinsky soon about it, uh, with Matt O'Dell, which I think will be an interesting pairing. But yeah. uh, what's your take? Yeah, so this has been like kind of the hot topic this week. Um, the original language oh. in this bill was such that uh, anyone who is associated with the um, with the transactions happening on crypto networks must report them under a KYC regime to the IRS. Um, and this was written broadly enough that that even miners themselves would be credibly under it. Um, <laughs> so first, I want to shout out to like Coin Center, who's mm-hmm. doing an amazing job fighting this. There are a lot of people on the front lines in Washington, D.C., trying to prevent this kind of thing from happening. They deserve your support. Anyone listening, they're doing great work. And they've actually managed to get the language in this toned way down into a much more reasonable place. The fight is still ongoing as of the time of this recording. Um, but the more interesting question here is, let's say the original language did end up in the bill. You essentially have a world in which these immutable protocols, which cannot comply are bumping up against politicians and regulators which demand compliance. I don't know how that gets settled. Like the Bitcoin protocol cannot cannot comply. And even if all the US miners were fully compliant, all that would mean is that they would have to shut down their business and they couldn't be US miners. That obviously doesn't stop Bitcoin. The mining just reroutes around the damage to some other country, right? So so essentially you, you have these tools that put incredible defensive power in the hands of people and you have very aggressive regulators that do not wish that to be the case that struggle is going to be what defines the next 10 years of finance in the world and frankly my money is on the decentralized protocols well we have countries waking up to this we we all know what's happening in el salvador um they would welcome any miners coming there to place their business there um we know other countries are looking at El Salvador. We are aware of various countries across South and Central America and even in Africa now. So um, I don't think the Bitcoin network's at risk. One of the interesting things to see how this plays out would be um, I had a, I did another interview earlier today with Parker Lewis, and we were talking about state versus federal regulations and that during COVID restrictions, it seemed like the more Republican uh, states such as Texas and Florida and Wyoming and I think he even mentioned, was it North Dakota or South Dakota, uh, basically ignored the federal government eventually with regards to their regulations regarding COVID. They removed mask uh, mandates, they allowed businesses and uh, economies to open back up. And we were discussing the idea that as the uh, Fed continues to print more and more money, destroying the value of the dollar, that perhaps those who want to serve the constituents in their state will actually be more positive about Bitcoin uh, because it is an opportunity for people to preserve and protect their wealth. So I'm wondering with regards to this regulation, because it's not this infrastructure bill isn't part of the Constitution, so states themselves can, they can ignore it, right? 
I I don't know if they can ignore it. That's <laughs> that's a complicated question. Generally, the way that they can they can have the fight. Well, they often don't fight because if they don't do what the federal government wants, the federal government will withdraw funding on other programs that the states are addicted to. So you get into a very like serfdom kind of situation. Right, um, they wouldn't they wouldn't resist the infrastructure bill because they're just getting free shit. Right. Whereas the taxpayers are, are going to pay for it through inflation and none of them even know that that's happening. Would they resist these this like crypto rule? Uh, no, because it's an it's an IRS reporting requirement. So right. it's not even a state's issue. Um, but the IRS can't collect information from people that don't have the information. You know, so it, it both reveals how poorly educated some of these regulators and politicians are on the state of crypto. But it is also our our opportunity to build and get this stuff more widely used before they catch up. Do you think it's a cash grab or a more about surveillance or both? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's both. I mean, the reason this is in that infrastructure bill is because it's an ungodly sum of money being spent. And there are these pseudo rules where they have to pretend how they're going to pay for it. So they make up things like, oh, we're going to get $82 billion from, uh, you know, crypto uh, transactions, which aren't being taxed, right? Like they, they pull that number out of their ass and they're not going to get that from crypto transactions. Uh, but they put that in there and then that let, lets them justify a, a massive multi-hundred billion dollar infrastructure plan. Um, you know, and certainly how Washington works, if the IRS can use that as an opportunity to get more information on people, it's going to do that. Mm. Interesting times. Is there anything about this uh, with regards to what you're doing I've not asked you about that you wish I had? I think the important point for your audience is like ignore everything about other chains, Ethereum, all that kind of stuff. This concept of decentralizing a company is applicable in a pure Bitcoin sense just as well, right? You could decentralize a Bitcoin-based company and you could do it with many tools that are just built on Bitcoin. I would argue those tools are not as well developed, but the principle holds true. So to your listeners who care about actually decentralizing the entire financial system of the planet, if they care about that, they should be very interested in how an organization that is trying to build applications for users can decentralize itself. Right. Okay. So if people want to follow this, Eric, where, how do they follow? Are you like live blogging the process? Can people <laughs> track how you're doing this? And what the hell are it's, you going to do after this? Uh, I'll still be part of Shapeshift. You know, I'll just be one leader among many at that point. I won't be in charge of it. I'll have some influence, but not control. Um, yeah, and it all happens in the open. So we have you know public Discord forum and uh, forums where the governance occurs. People can all participate in that and just watch or or anything. It's going to be a saga that unfolds over a while, and we, we may succeed or fail. But we're sure is not going to we're sure as hell not going to go down a path of you know surveilling people and violating their rights if I have anything to do about it. Right. And anything else you wanted to add or ask Udi before we finish? Um, just, you know, I think it's a very good tip to, um, like, don't ignore these um, those things that are happening around uh, decentralizing stuff just because it's using Ethereum or it's using Solana or it's using Binance or whatever it's using. That's not a good reason to... To ignore them, I have my reservations about Ethereum, but that doesn't change like what people are doing with it. And I think there's a lot to learn from it. So, if, so, so, like, don't just wave it away. It's probably a mistake. Um, and there are actually interesting things going on. So, 
Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I appreciate you both coming on to talk about it. Um, I'm going to be in the States for six weeks from around the 24th, 25th of August. Uh, so let's try and meet up. Uh, it's, you know, we didn't get a hang out and probably catch up it in Miami because all the Bitcoin bros were going crazy. So uh, <laughs> I'll yeah, try that, and come and see that Eric. Would be, that'd be fantastic. Hopefully your stuff doesn't get seized at the border. Yeah, hopefully. I need that. Uh, Udi, uh, hopefully I'll catch up with you as well soon, mate. Uh, appreciate you both coming on to do this. It's definitely interesting. I am really interested in it. I'm, I usually avoid most of these kind of projects and just focus on Bitcoin, but I'm definitely interested in this. And if I get cancelled for this by the plebs, then so be it. But uh, definitely interesting. So, uh, yeah, good luck with it, Eric, and we'll catch up soon. And Udi, well, I'll see you when I see you, man. Well, then, what did you make of that? I know I don't usually do shows like this. I have a Bitcoin show. I do occasionally touch on... Uh, altcoins, you know, whether it's a debate of Bitcoin versus Ethereum or just Bitcoin versus altcoins, I don't completely ignore the subject because there are investors coming in and my show tends to be open to, you know, as a design for newer investors who will be exposed to altcoins, who do want to know about the trade-off. So I will touch things that I think are relevant. And I just think what Eric is doing here with Shapeshift, essentially, you know, he's dismantling his business to stay ahead of regulators. I think this is an interesting topic. I think there's a lot to be learned from here, whether or not you give a shit about altcoins or not. So yes, uh, at a time where the infrastructure bills coming in and regulators are looking heavily at our industry, I think this was a well-worthy conversation worth having. And look, if you if you're not into it, if you don't care, let's just ignore it. There'll be a there'll be a Bitcoin show. Uh, on Wednesday and another one on Friday, but I will occasionally touch subjects like this. Also, listen, if you've got any questions about it, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to discuss this. I do reply to everyone who emails me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can jump into my Telegram group. Okay, outside of that, I am off on holiday today. I'm going to have a two-week break with my kids, and my idea is to actually relax, actually take a holiday read some books, be present for my children. So if you don't hear much from me over the next couple of weeks because of that, I have prepared some interviews in advance, so you will be fully loaded up. But I need a break, and I hope you're okay with that. But anyway, listen, if you want to support the show, please do head over to Apple Podcasts. Please leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Apart from that, I'm looking forward to my break. I love you all. There will be a show out on Wednesday. Danny and Ben are going to keep this going while I am having a break. All right, see you all very, very soon. 